This is Vulnerability Matters from the Money Advice Trust. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Vulnerability Matters from the Money Advice Trust. I'm Chris Fitch. And thanks for coming back. Admittedly, there aren't many podcasts out there at the moment you could be listening to instead. I'm told it's just ourselves and a small team at BBC Radio Essex that makes them. But we're still very grateful you joined us, even if it is through a basic lack of choice. Now, today's conversation was recorded on a sunny, warm day in September. Remember them? But our focus was very much the opposite, as I was talking with the incredible Dr. Rose Chard about the science, experience and impact of being cold. With the colder nights and days now coming into sight, with the energy price impact still continuing and a potential winter fuel crisis likely to hit the headlines again, Rose gave us an insight into how this affects us in physical, mental and financial terms and what action staff working inside and outside of the energy sector need to take to address this. Rose is a well-known, respected and no doubt also much-loved specialist at Energy Systems Catapult. And what a name that is. I can feel the potential power already where she translates consumer insight into the design of policies, products, and services for achieving a low-carbon energy system and addressing issues of consumer vulnerability and fuel poverty. Yes, Rose did write that bit down for me. I was lucky enough to catch Rose for this chat. She's been very busy on her new work on warm home prescriptions with the NHS, which she also shared with us. So I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. It was packed full of insight, uh, stats, and good practice as well as Rose's unexpected disclosure of a hidden desire to become a Mars bar designer. Other sweet line design roles are available. Rose, how are you today? What are you up to? I'm good, thanks, Chris. I am catching up with the emails and the requests having had two weeks holiday um how and dare is, you. i know i know i know two two weeks is long it, it felt long um but it was one of those rare times when i really felt like i switched off but you've come back refreshed and raring to go absolutely ready for winter um whatever that may hold um but for me the year really is divided up into thinking about winter preparing for winter and then winter actually being here so it definitely feels like I went away and it was kind of 25 degrees uh, and lovely and warm and I've come back and it is definitely autumn um so yeah but I quite like that autumn's one of my favorite my favorite seasons so it's it's, it's creeping in two questions for you Rose to kick us off uh first one is um yeah how did you get into this work as a specialist and second secondly is there a catapult uh physical one uh, energy systems catapult does one exist um, yeah, so it definitely exists. Um, we're based in the centre of Birmingham. Um, so we're a team of over 200 people now. Um, I've been at Energy Systems Catapult um, over seven years. Um, and we were just 50 50 people then and now we're over 200 and we're here to support innovators that come from all different sectors so from academia, from government, from um, business. Um, Catapult their best ideas into the market more quickly to support the net zero energy transition. And my role is specifically to think about 
how can we make sure those products and services that are part of the energy system work well for low-income vulnerable households? So that might be people with low digital literacy, um, elderly, uh, complete complete range, but very kind of future thinking. Who who might not be included when we're designing um, the energy system? And but it's something that I'm really I'm really passionate about. I really mm-hmm. I don't I can't you know I've toyed with the idea of <laughs> sometimes I say to my husband oh gosh, you know, working on, on, on fuel poverty and low-income vulnerable consumers is, is heavy going sometimes. Maybe I'll just go off and design Mars bars or design chocolate bars or I don't know, that's my like. <laughs> if I didn't do this, what, <laughs> what would I do? I'd do something completely, completely different, not about kind of this space. So, um, yeah, but I maybe. love it. I would, I would never be able to leave it. So what is being, I know this is going to sound like an incredibly stupid question. What is being cold? And why are you so interested in it? Yeah. So um, the National Institute for Healthcare Excellence actually kind of reviewed uh, a couple of years ago now what it means to to be cold. And and they found that actually 18 degrees in people's homes um, is what's needed for for most people that are active and healthy um, to to stay healthy and and warm in their home um, health-wise. and I think it's really interesting because not that much is really understood about people's experience of being cold or being warm in their home. And believe it or not, we've probably lots of people think, surely everybody just heats their home in the same way. Mm-hmm. But if anybody listening lives with a partner who is very different from them on on what they want in their home, they'll realise, you know, thermostat wars are, are quite common. You know, some people want it really warm, some people don't. Some people want a draft, some people don't. Some people want the windows and doors open, lights, you know, all of that. So I think it's really interesting when we're thinking about designing at zero, we need to acknowledge that people actually want quite different experiences from being warm or not being cold in their home. Um, and, and that's why it really interests me because being cold is impacted by so many different things. The number of clothes you wear, the, the, how you use your heating system, where you're sat in your house, how your house is designed, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. it's, a re- it's a really broad area. Um, but health-wise, kind of 18 to 21 degrees is where you're, you're not cold. You're, you're warm and good for your health. So is so that's where it's good good for your health. So um, what are the physical health impacts then of, of mm. being cold? How does it affect people? Yeah, so it affects people in a real range of ways. Um, for people that are kind of healthy and active, don't have underlying health conditions, um, that there are less kind of strong impacts. But for people with um, conditions such as chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or cardiovascular or essentially lung or heart diseases, then it can it can be really detrimental. So cold and damp homes, mm. obviously damp happens often as a result of people living in a cold home and it not being well into, insulated, um, can result in shorter life, um, increased like new physical and mental illnesses, impaired quality of life, increased um, risks of heart attacks, admissions to hospital, um, and slips, trips and falls. When people get cold, um, they're not as 
as easily able to to move around the home and if often older households spending a lot of time sitting down quite static and then when they go to to sit up because of the cold mm. um they they just can't move around as easily and they're more susceptible to slip strips and falls which can be can be really nasty to experience um and can result in people having to use the nhs nhs a lot um families with small children and those with with chronic disabled conditions um are also um some of the groups most immediately and and, and clearly affected um so yeah it's quite it's quite broad ranging but Mm. you know as you can tell it's yeah quite serious stuff i was reading um something about kind of um uh, development in, in babies and younger children um and that's a particularly key area and uh, time in terms of growth and yeah. uh, those living in um either um uh, heat insecure or food insecure homes actually being impacted in terms of their early development yeah. is, is that something you, you you come across in in your work yeah yeah quite often um it does it kind of is quite right wide ranging as well so research shows that there's um impacts on children's educational attainment and achievement Mm. um as well as reduced uh, as well as time off school um as a result of of living in a cold home and i think something that really kind of brings it to life as it were for me is that for kind of school-age children if they can't afford if the, the family can't afford to heat their home school-aged children don't perform as well at school because they don't have a space that's warm and quiet where they can do their homework because often mm. they'll all people will only heat one room and it might be that the children and all of the family are in one room and we all know what it's like to try and concentrate when you're in a really noisy environment or any noise um you know and so they just can't they can't achieve as much so there's some kind of quite immediate effects when you think when you think of that just for families everyday lives um yeah that have just have massive ramifications for you know the rest of your life moving forward mm. i was also coming across we'll all be familiar probably well some of us will be familiar with the um the heating versus eating conundrum and we're getting into some of the financial impacts as well but one of the ones i came across was also heating versus being online and how essential the uh, the digital connections become, uh, both in terms of education, but also essential services as well. And many people having to go, choosing to go without heating or choosing not to be connected to the kind of the, the wider world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I think that's going to be an issue that is, I hope comes up the agenda a bit more because you know 30 years ago, we wouldn't have said somebody was vulnerable if they didn't have the internet at home. But we would now because so many services that you need, mm. you need to get online and you need to be, you need to both have kind of reliable um, like internet access um, as well as you need to have the skills to be able to, to navigate that. Um, and it's not that you need really extensive kind of digital tech skills, but you do need access to the internet and you do need those, those basic digital skills. I think on the heating or eating um, point, I think the thing as well that you realise how it kind of intertwined the complexities are when living, you know, in these situations is uh, only a couple of years ago, there were kind of early reports that were becoming more and more common where people were going to a food bank, but and then returning food because they couldn't afford the energy 
to cook the food mm. that they they'd got from the food bank and i just think from a kind of like very personal situation the journey that somebody goes through to go to a food bank to then not be able to use that food because you can't afford the energy mm-hmm. it's just it's a yeah it's a whole situation that we wouldn't wish anybody any mm-hmm. family any household in the uk or, or anywhere to be in absolutely so we there's some real dilemmas some real difficult choices we talked about the impact uh in terms of physical health we could have talked about the impact on mental health i saw that um one study found i think it was um 25 uh no 28 of young people living in cold homes had four or more negative mental health symptoms which is which wow. is quite 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 staggering also the effect on them um, sort of maternal depression and the mothers mm-hmm. of young children living in uh uh, sort of cold homes so yeah. thinking about some of the frontline services essential services that um that we're in contact with um what what can those firms be doing what can staff be doing to help customers who may begin to start experiencing these these problems again or a continuation of the existing problems around um sort of fuel poverty and uh, sort of the fuel crisis mm. yeah i think um as we, we all see in the news quite a lot in the last couple of years, I think one thing that frontline staff can do is get really clear on the support that is available for their uh, the, the people that they're supporting this winter. Mm-hmm. I think everybody struggles with keeping up with what support am I going to get and with COVID and um, the cost of living crisis. So there is new stuff that comes up, but I think the frontline staff can get really clear on what is available so that they can communicate it and re-communicate it where needed to people around now actually I know that you got that support last year but it's not available this year but these things are available I think also depending on kind of the geography of of um, the staff different local areas will have different support available so Mm. for instance last year we saw lots of kind of warm spaces warm hubs where libraries and a variety of of different um, places actually provided a warm space and it might include a cup of tea it might include wi-fi access it might include devices um, but just offered a warm space to be on certain days of the week at certain times so i think reaching out to um, network of other organizations that might be providing support during the winter so that you can really easily um, sign pace people towards that there's the standard stuff around the priority services register that energy suppliers and the network operators have that anybody any resident can sign up for mm. um, and means they'll get kind of pre-warning if if there are, is going to be a, a power um, cut or there's going to be maintenance in that area um, as well as uh, there's kind of other benefits of it um, but I think that those would be the main things be really clear on the support that's available so, so mapping out the types of support that we we might provide uh, as a firm and one thing you said there really struck me was um, uh, if, if I'm a non-energy firm and I don't work in the energy sector, being at least aware of some of the uh, some of the signposting that can be done there externally. Yeah. But this this whole agenda around fuel poverty, maybe you can just tell us a little bit what what is if you define fuel poverty, what is it, and how many households are affected in the UK by fuel poverty? Yeah. So essentially, it's households that struggle to afford adequate warmth. So there have been various 
definitions over the years and different nations have different technical definitions that give us a number at the end that give us a sense of the size of the issue so national energy action the national fuel poverty charity estimate using one of those definitions that over six million households will be in fuel poverty this winter um, essentially it means if they were to spend what's needed to heat their home on energy the disposable income that they'd have left would mean they would be below the poverty line mm-hmm. um, but for me I think the definitions are useful to a degree to give us a sense of like the size of the issue but there are lots of intricacies on the way it's calculated and what it's affected by and that kind of thing but I think the real kind of lived experience what we're we're hearing um, what what listeners will be hearing um, they'll have a good sense of actually the number of people struggling to afford energy is increasing or is getting better or that kind of thing um, but yeah it's it's a significant issue mm. definitely fuel poverty mm-hmm. no absolutely so so what type of winter crisis are we going to have this year rose what what do you see on the on the horizon i think it's really tricky it's a really difficult year because there isn't the support that was available last year but meanwhile energy prices are still relatively high we, we are seeing some um change that, that they are coming down but i don't think anybody would disagree that there are definitely going to be a significant number of homes this winter that are going to struggle to afford the energy needed to to keep warm um and i think the added complication is like I said before people would be confused about what kind of support is and isn't available um I think for your frontline staff and for the likes of me I'm really thinking about given where we are given the winter that we've got ahead what if we did things completely differently like warm home prescription what if we what support could there be available is it just that more money is needed to support households or is it that there could be a new way to support households so I think we're also going to see a time of some innovation and some talk about maybe we can do things differently yeah let's all just work towards a winter where maybe there isn't a crisis ahead and what um, what, what would we do differently I can't let you go without asking that question yeah so I think the main the main thing for me is working cross-sector Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure lots of your frontline staff do that but I think it's needed at a much kind of larger national scale Um, so for instance on one home description that's why arguably the best people to identify people that have a health condition made worse by the cold is the health service Mm. we shouldn't be making energy suppliers try and find out what vulnerabilities people have. I mean, who wants to tell a stranger on the end of the phone about something that's not related? You know, it's just, um, so I think more cross-sector working um, and more long-term committed support. I know we say that every year, but um, I think some stability on on the support that will be available for people is, is really key. Absolutely. Where should uh, everyone listening, where should they go? What's their, their one-stop shop or their, their go-to resource? they should go to to find out a little bit more uh about maybe your work rows or work that they should be aware of yeah great question so um the energy systems catapult website 
Um, we've recently shared all of our results from Warm Home Description on there in what I like to think are pretty engaging, interesting uh, reports. So maybe over a, a cup of tea or a lunch hour, people could have a look at those, um, as well as there's a, a video. If you've just got three minutes while you're, while you're making your cup of tea, then there's um, there's a video that just gives gives people the headlines. And so I'd go there. Um, and then apart from that, I think there are so many different interesting things to read you know you could get lost in it um but I, I love um social media and twitter for keeping up with the latest of what people are talking about and engaging with them um so i think that always provides me some inspiration um yeah there you go. Really so good. follow rose on twitter slash x rose child thank you very much that was fantastic and Thanks great to speak to you And that was Dr. Rose Chard. If you liked what you heard from Rose, do look her up at Energy Catapult Systems. But you can also, right now, ask Rose a question directly and win a solid gold Vulnerability Matters mug for doing it. Okay, it's not actually solid gold, but uh, Rose's answers certainly will be. To do this, uh, just send me a question right now. It will take you 20 seconds via LinkedIn, search Chris Fitch, or on Twitter, where I am at fitch underscore chris and i know it's called x but please don't write in about that the best question of the bunch wins but every question is a winner because it will get a response from rose okay that's it until our next conversation so thank you very much for listening thank you for joining us today and thank you for remembering that vulnerability matters mm-hmm.